are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by St. Joe River Bows. If you're looking for a custom longbow or recurve, then St. Joe River Bows has you covered. St. Joe's is a family-owned company that specializes in traditional bows for the entire family. Plus their forward handle design, powerful limbs, and unique wood and color combinations make St. Joe's the perfect choice for the budding or experienced archer or bow hunter. Tracy offers bow options for all members of the family from the youngest to the oldest, and they even offer a trade-in program on all youth bows so that as the little ones outgrow their bow, they can trade them in and use that towards the purchase of a bow that better fits their growing needs. And for listeners of the Traditional Outdoors podcast, David and Tracy are going to include a St. Joe River Bows t-shirt with any new bow purchased. Just mention that you heard about them while listening to this podcast. So when you're ready for a new bow, be sure to check out their website at stjoeriverbows.com or give Tracy a call at 517-617-3658 and be sure to tell them Traditional Outdoors sent you. Now on to the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this uh, mobile edition or episode of the Traditional Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Steve Angel. I am running a bit solo because as of about 4.20 a.m. this morning, I pulled out of my uh, house in Georgia and I am headed to Michigan. Headed up to spend a week with Tom uh, and several days with a lot of good friends in a, in a hunting camp that we do every couple years, or they do every year. I'm able to make it every couple years. We talked about it recently on another episode, but... Uh, Nick will be there, Tom will be there, uh, Jamie Burkhead, John Bouchine, Bob Bones, friend of the show, uh, John Moodry, and I'm not sure who else may show up, but those are the ones that I know are going to be there. Uh, be hunting out there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And I think Tom and I are going to try to get in some hunting on a, a different piece of public land as, as time allows, probably most of the day tomorrow, which will be Sunday. And any day that we can, uh, after work, if we can slip away and, and get enough time, we'll, we're going to try to make the most of this trip. I will apologize if there's any road noise. I'm hoping with the lapel mic that I'm using and a little bit of editing, I will be able to clean up any road noise. And as I'm saying this, I'm actually crossing into Indiana. So from a time perspective, I'm a little over halfway from a mileage perspective. I don't think I'm quite there yet, but getting pretty close. Uh, coming out of Georgia the first couple of hours is all back roads, and you know, 45 to 55 is pretty much the, the maximum speed you can get. And a lot of curves going through the mountains as well. So um, anyway, got a little bit of time. This may sound a bit um, broken up. You may hear a few little edits and so forth. Uh, as I'm going through and uh, maybe stopping my recording if I need to pay attention to the road or you know, who knows what. Maybe I'll even need to just collect my thoughts a little bit. Um, got a few things I want to I wanna talk about today. It's going to feel kind of weird not having Nick to bounce things off of and get his perspective, but uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll revisit some of those after, after this episode goes live and get his thoughts, uh, or maybe he'll, he'll kind of share my thoughts on the matter and it won't be a need. But anyway, um, the first thing I'm going to talk about, we had our episode a couple weeks ago, Steamed, where we 
we talked about some of the things on social media, and this is not in any way going to really be a rant, uh, but just something that kind of came up this week in my in my feed that I thought was important uh, and want to spend a little bit of time talking about it. And this is not necessarily going to be for the uh, for the traditional bow hunters that have been doing this for a while that that are you know they they they're successful. Um, although it may apply, you may you may hear something that you want to ponder on a little bit, but it's really more for the for the guys or and ladies that are that are maybe just getting started in traditional bow hunting. And you know we live in a world of of social media, and that's going to be a, a topic that comes into this at least a couple times uh, as I'm talking through this. But there's good parts and bad parts to social media. When you think about things like YouTube. Uh, there's a lot of really good, useful information that people can, you know, that are maybe just getting started can can go out and do some searches and really find some solid information that they can use. The downside is there's there's a lot of bad information out there too, and and I will say that some of it is differing opinions, um, but opinions sometimes are based on experiences and. And that's a key part of what I want to talk about. But this week, I saw a, a post show up in the traditional bow hunters group on Facebook, and I'll emphasize the bow hunters aspect of this. And a self-proclaimed the, the the original poster in this thread said that he was new to traditional bow hunting, traditional archery, and he had just picked up a bow and he gave the bow specs, and he said, you know, no matter what he did. When he was shooting, his arrows all went always went one way or the other. I think it was to the right, but if you saw the post, don't quote me on that. But his arrows always flew one way, no matter what he did. He modified the brace height, so forth. And he was asking, you know, if people thought his arrows were the wrong spine. And I think he was shooting 400. I can't remember the poundage of the bow. It really doesn't matter to this discussion. But uh, And there have been a few comments when I first saw it. But the last comment that showed up, and I'm not going to mention names here. Honestly, I can't remember the, the original poster's name or any of the, the comments, so it just doesn't matter. But there was a comment that's, that said something to the effect of, if your arrows are going this way, then I would think, you know, it's probably because of your, your shooting form, whatever. And I'm not going to argue that point. I, I honestly just don't remember and I don't know that I, I gave it enough thought to even get into, was it form-related, was it spine-related. But it again, with what comes next, it doesn't matter. This, this is really what I want to talk about. The, the person commenting went on to say, um, and I'm, again, loosely quoting, don't listen to all the zealots. Spine really has nothing to do with it. I went, I, and he said, I can go through and just pick up random arrows different weights, different spines, shooting them from the same bow, and unless I do something wrong, plucking the string and so forth, you know, the arrows always go where I'm looking. And, you know, so first of all, one, I'm not going to say that that comment from that individual may or may not be true. Uh, I have heard of and known some individuals that could do that. They could, you know, it doesn't matter. They just pick up an arrow and they send it. But my response to that post, that comment was, 
and I kind of knew the answer because I spent a little bit of time looking through his profile, and we'll touch on that in a minute too, but how many animals have you taken with traditional gear? Because arrow spine, while you can arguably hit the bullseye or hit what you're looking at with a improperly spined arrow, it does play a greater factor when it comes to bow hunting. Um, and we'll talk about that as well in a little bit. But the response from this person was basically to make more fun of me and, and others like me, because I guess I'm a zealot, uh, and say that, you know, he had won all these trophies and he had placed, you know, top of his class in all these different tournaments and then went on to say something to the effect, just because he doesn't post a lot of uh, success photos to social media doesn't mean he hasn't taken game animals. And while that could be true, uh, in this day and age, odds are very high that that's just complete baloney and that was just the best argument he could make. My point here would be, if you're new and you're going to ask questions for social media and it can be a great outlet to ask questions and get feedback, don't just listen to anybody that posts a response. Weigh it against the other responses that you're getting at a minimum. And if you find something very intriguing, spend a little bit of time and go and look and see, does the person have any success to speak of? Can you find any successes to speak of if it relates to bow hunting and your your question is specific to bow hunting. Because this was posted in a traditional bow hunting group, I feel pretty confident that the person asking the question was asking because they're wanting to pursue animals with a traditional bow. And that does make a difference in the answers that you get. And unfortunately, a lot of times you're getting responses from individuals that you know what, maybe they can, maybe they're great shots, but the majority of their time is, is either spent or their successes is based on what they can do to a foam target. And sometimes maybe it's not even a foam target. Maybe they're doing field archery, I don't know. But there's a difference between foam hunting or foam shooting and real bow hunting. When you think about arrow spine, and, you know, I, I know, you know, there's lovers and, and haters of uh, the discussions around the effectiveness of uh, bow and arrow um, and the Ashby studies particularly. But one of the top factors for penetration from the Ashby studies is arrow flight. An arrow that is not does not straighten out a paradox and is flying well, when it hits an animal, it's going to affect the direction where that arrow can go. And if an arrow impacts an animal and it's still flying wonky, I mean, it, it in theory and in practice, can enter that animal and instead of going straight, it can plane to the left or the right based on how it impacted the animal. It could result in a one lung hit. It could result in a gut shot. Um, it is without a doubt going to impact the amount of penetration that you get. May or may not result in not getting uh, a, an exit wound or a pass through, which is going to have an impact on recoverability uh, because one hole 
may not leave as good a blood trail as two. In almost every case, that will be uh, a matter of fact, not just a matter of opinion. So spine does play a key part. Is it everything? No, but it is a, it is a huge factor. Um, all things being equal, meaning sharp broadhead, cut on contact broadhead, uh, adequate arrow weight, all these other things, and poor arrow flight is going to result in poor penetration. Arrows do not kill by shock like a firearm does. They kill by hemorrhaging. And the more tissue, and more importantly, the more vital organs or the more arteries that you can cut cleanly, the, the more effective that uh, arrow and broadhead combination is going to be, the quicker that animal is going to go down, which results in a quicker humane kill. So, you know, this is just one of those things that, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to belabor the point and I'm not going down the path of getting upset like I did, you know, when, when Nick and I were talking about this before. It's just, it's, it's, I'll go as far as saying it's fact. And you have to be careful who you're listening to. And this is just one example. There's, there's plenty of other examples um, you know, you could, you could arguably say that this is opinion, but I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've taken my share of animals with traditional gear. Um, I made my early mistakes with traditional gear and I learned from them. And when I made mistakes, I spent the time, did the research to try to figure out what could have made that experience better. In other words, what could have made the recoverability of that animal better? Uh, what could have made you know the, the amount of tracking easier? Those kind of things better. And you know, that should be the goal of anyone that pursues an animal is always trying to find ways to make it better. I'm not, I don't want to present myself as an expert to anyone, I'm always trying to learn from my mistakes and 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 make myself more effective again as a hunter. Archery to me is a means to an end. I, I enjoy traditional archery. I love getting out and shooting my bow, but I'm always getting out and shooting my bow for the purpose of bow hunting. And, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily the same. I know it's not the same from everybody, for everybody. I know there's a lot of bow hunters that, you know, 3D shooting and, and target shooting is a big part of, of what they want to do. And in fact, it may be a bigger part of what they, the enjoyment they want to get from traditional gear. And I, I honestly don't have a problem with that. Uh, and I don't have a problem with one of those individuals giving advice. But again, if you're accepting that advice, Spend a little time and do some research. Make sure the advice makes sense. Make sure you're getting the same kind of advice from other people. And try to find out if the person giving that advice has been successful. Do Honestly, do they know what they're talking about? Are they speaking from experience? And yes, there's people out there with more experience than, than I have. And I will tell you without a doubt, I will listen to those individuals. But at the same time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my own research. If I don't know who the person is and they're telling me something that just goes against what I feel like makes common sense or what I have seen from my experience to not align with the information I'm being given, I'm going to do some research. So 
you know, I think I've kind of got the point across. I don't want to, I don't want to beat this up, um, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, if you're going to ask, look into the answers that you're getting. Don't just take them at face value. Um, for the individuals out there that want to give advice, try to give advice coming from experience. And if you're if you're responding in a traditional bow hunting group, give traditional bow hunting related advice. Um, you know, I if if you can go out and take random area arrows and shoot a perfect score on the 3D course, my hat's off to you, and I'll congratulate you, and I'll pat you on the back. And I'll share in your pride in, a, in the ability to do so. But I would also tell you to your face, don't do that when you're hunting. It's just bad practice. And in more often than not, it's going to give you bad results. Maybe not every time, but enough times that you should want to, to figure out what the challenge is uh, or what the source of that problem is and, and correct it. Okay. Uh, let's see, what else was I going to talk about? Uh, oh, uh, go Braves for one. Um, I don't know if most, I'm sure there's a lot of traditional bow hunters that are baseball fans. And I do know the, the Braves last night did win at home. So they're up two to one. Um, uh, kind of proud of them. I hope it, uh, continues. Definitely a better showing than their, than their last appearance at the World Series where I believe they got swept in four games by the Dodgers, but. Um, they've got a it's a much it's a much different team and I think uh, hearing uh, I believe it was Brian Snicker said something the other day when he was talking about you know it's a it's not only is it a different team than the the 99 uh, series team but they're a different team and they know they're a different team and they they truly believe they belong in the World Series and uh, this isn't a a sports podcast, so I'm not going to stay on this. But watching them play, they definitely they definitely have a different mindset than than the team from from years back. So hopefully, hope hoping for, for for big things from them. I'd love to see them never go back to Houston because that Houston those Houston fans are they're a hostile group. It's it's rather rowdy when they're playing in in Houston. So uh, hopefully they can they can win the next two and and seal this thing up. The next thing I'll talk about is a little bit of um, success that I've had. I actually did manage to get another uh, doe in, I think it was uh, six days from the, so I shot the first doe on a, on a Saturday morning, is that right? Let me think about this. No, shot the, pre, the first doe on a Sunday, uh, midday Sunday, and just last weekend, uh, my daughter was in town, so I knew I wanted to spend time with her, and we were actually getting together for a birthday celebration for my uh, wife who passed away back in August. Uh, so Saturday morning, I knew I could get out and, and hunt for a few hours, and I would be able to hunt again Saturday afternoon. So uh, Sunday morning, I actually headed out, hunted a, a location I was very familiar with. I've taken several whitetails in this area. In fact, it's the same general area. I shot a buck late last year, late season. Uh, it serves as a couple of things. It's a it's a great, it's on a transition line, so there's some very thick cover, uh, but it's up to some fairly open uh, open woods. It's not definitely not big timber. It's rather small uh, hardwoods with, with a scattering of some larger pines. Um, 
as a result of a, a select cut many years ago. But it's uh, it, it the area is also a really good transition area, a travel area, I should say, between some uh, feeding areas of some larger oaks and uh, bedding that's on this, this same property. So it's just a good general uh, area that I hunt pretty much year-round from, from early season on into late season. It also serves as a pretty good stand uh, once red activity starts picking up. But I slipped into the stand well before daylight. Um, as I pulled in to the, to the property, I, I remembered that I'd left my camera actually sitting on my desk from where I'd been working on the, the footage from the deer I shot the week prior. So I didn't have my, my camera with me. I didn't get any of the footage. Um, but it was a, a, a decent-sized doe for the area. Uh, the recovery was a little bit further uh, than, than the previous deer. It was about, I'd say, 80 to 100 yards. Um, but the one thing I do want to talk about as far as this particular hunt that I do think resonates for everybody is I actually used... Um, uh, a shooting technique, I guess is what you'd call it, that that I did develop through practice. Uh, and I know it's going to sound a bit funny because of my previous uh, discussion uh, a few minutes ago around, you know, 3D shooting. And like I said, I do shoot a good bit of 3D in the offseason, um, not really for, for scoring purposes. I do it because it helps me prepare for hunting season. I really... There's one shoot out of the whole year that I really care anything about uh, my score and where I'm, you know, shooting at the 12 ring on a target. Usually when I approach a target, I'm thinking of it from a hunting perspective. Uh, if it's an angled target, we actually set up quite a few targets on our course that are intentionally angled. We do it to, as Gene Bramlett says, skinny up the, the, the target so it makes the actual rings on the target uh, have a, a smaller profile, but it's actually good for hunting situations too, especially if they're quartering away, to think about where your where your shot needs to impact to actually get to the vitals because everything changes based on the angle of the animal. Uh, from a really from a bow hunting perspective, but especially from a traditional bow hunting perspective, in my opinion, quartering two shots should be off limits. Nobody should be taking those shots, in my opinion, with a bow, but most definitely with a traditional bow. The, the, the angle of opportunity or success there is just too small. You're, you're much better off to wait for that animal to turn broadside or quartering away and pass on those quartering two shots. That's probably a, a whole other uh, area of discussion. But we have, back to the point I'm trying to make, uh, or the, the subject I want to talk about is we have one target on our course and it's, you know, a lot of people really love it and it's one of the targets you always hear people ask about or if you tell them that the, it, the, the course usually starts or ends with this target and as soon as you tell people, uh, you, you typically see a grin from them because they really enjoy shooting this, but we call it the running pig. And it's a, it's a full-size 3D wild hog target and we have a cable that stretched between uh, two trees. And I would say they're probably, I don't know, 20, 25 yards apart, 
and there's a there's a cable stretch between them that's uh, running downhill at a pretty steep um, slope, and there's a set of pulleys on the cable that attach to or have attached to them some ropes that the the pig target just kind of suspends or hangs from those pulleys, and it's all attached to a rope. So one person in the group typically does the the pulling for all the rest of the group with one person swapping out so that they can shoot. And they they pull this this hog target up to the top of the the cable, and when the shooter's ready, they let it go. And it's actually in some we'll say they're thick trees, but there's definitely trees um, scattered throughout the run that this the target transcends as it's rolling down the cable and you have to pick a spot, you have to lead the animal and you have to shoot. Now, a lot of people, if you watch them shoot, there's a couple of approaches. Uh, most people, I would say, you know, they come to anchor and they're, they pick a spot and they're kind of waiting for that pig to pass through. And, and that's where they try to shoot. They try to, you know, shoot so that as that pig passes through the window that they're holding on, they hit the target. The the other type of people that approach this is, you know, they, they I won't say they even come to full draw. They're, most of them I see are either at the bows at rest or they, they, they like half draw. They get the bow part of the way back and they start following this pig from the time it's released. They, they follow this pig down so that they're swinging on it. And at some point they draw and come to full anchor and they release. Now, if you've practiced moving targets, it's no different than wing shooting. If your target's moving, you're going to have to lead it a bit, especially with a you know the speeds of a trad bow. I forgot to mention that most of the time, the distance between the target and the, the shooting stake is, I'd say the average is probably around 15 yards. Um, it fluctuates a little bit, but I'd say mostly around 12 to 15 yards. And you have to lead this target a little bit if you're going to hit it. Uh, and you... Every time you're you're standing around and people are shooting, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of laughs. Um, there's there's some good ribbing going on. Um, also, a good bit. I won't say frustration, but you can hear a little bit of uh, mild frustration from from people when they when they miss as well. So it's a lot of good fun, but it's also good practice uh, because there are situations where. You know, I'm not a big fan of whistling or making noises at, at animals to stop them. Part of that due to the pressure that, that the whitetails receive in Georgia. Our season on this property that I was hunting, the season opens early September and doesn't close till uh, the end of January, January 31st this year. So it's even about 15 days longer than normal. But they get a lot of pressure. Uh, there's a lot of people that whistle and, and blow grunts and, and bleats and everything else and a lot of these deer get pretty smart pretty quick, and I've seen the opposite effect of trying to stop an animal with a, a whistle or a grunt, and the, the animal hears it, and they they either you know do an about face or they, they pick up the speed and take off running. So I'm just not a big fan of it uh, unless it's real early in the season, like you know with the first few weeks uh, I might do it. But on this hunt uh, last weekend. I heard the animals coming, and I, I saw them. It was a, a couple of does together. And I think uh, they, may have been, they may have been spooked up by um, a, a dog or a couple of dogs. We've, I've had caught a few dogs on camera. The property does 
uh, is adjacent to some uh, to some housing uh, several hundred yards from where I was hunting but these deer came from a direction I didn't expect and more importantly they were they weren't running but they were at a trot uh, so when I saw them I was a bit surprised I had to adjust a little bit um, in my stand to, to be able to get a shot opportunity and the lead doe was, I felt like if she kept going the direction she was going, she was going to give me a shot opportunity, but that shot opportunity was going to be, again, potentially at a, at a slow trot, uh, quartering away, and was going to be shooting between some trees. And the first thing that came into my mind in this scenario was that running pig. I mean, it's, it's a shot that, you know, everybody that attends our, our 3D shoots regularly has done probably hundreds of times. And in fact, after I, after I made the shot, one of the first texts that I actually sent was to Gene Bramlett to say, you know, thank God for the running pig. So I knew where, I, you know, and all this happened pretty quickly. I kind of picked out the spot where I thought I would take the shot if she continued, you know, the path she was on. Uh, I, I brought my bow up. I came to about half draw. I picked the animal up uh, in my what would be my, my shot window, my sight window, and I started just kind of swinging with, tracking the animal. And as she approached the opening, I came back and hit full draw. I swung just a little bit ahead of her. And keep in mind, she's quartering away, so I'm really trying to hit, again, in the back of my mind, somewhere around the last rib or maybe even a little behind that last rib so that I'm exiting somewhere around the back of the, the off shoulder. So as the deer comes in, I swing ahead just a little bit, and I can't remember exactly because I'm, I'm really kind of doing all this off of just instinct, and it all happened pretty quickly. But I want to say when I released the arrow, I was probably looking at the front third of her shoulder when I released. And I'll be perfectly honest, when the arrow hit... My initial thought was I had not let enough and I, I hit too far back. Um, I did not get a pass through again, which I'm very accustomed to doing, but I have dropped because of lack of shoot, shooting time over the summer. While I could still shoot the bow weights that I'm accustomed to, I didn't feel like I could, I could necessarily do it in a lot of hunting situations. So... Uh, the bow I'm shooting is about 15 pounds or so lighter than what I'm used to. And subsequently, the arrow is about 70 to 80 grains lighter. But I'm not getting... Uh, two deer I've shot, I haven't gotten pass-throughs. Um, and she turned, and I could see the arrow as she was turning away. I could see the arrow was, at, was out the other side. But I couldn't really, because she went... When she turned, she was walking straight ahead away from me. But she was also walking and not necessarily running uh, or taking a walk in a trot, which also told me I was afraid I had hit the deer back. Um, so I sat down and looked at my watch. It was actually 8.06, and I figured I'd take a little bit of time before I picked up the trail or even went down and looked at blood because she did. she continued to leave at a fairly slow pace compared to what I'm accustomed to. Uh, and I didn't want to, I just didn't want to push the fact. It was a misty 
damp morning, so I knew I could get down and at least check the area of the shot impact without making really any noise at all. But before I even did that, I wanted to wait. Uh, I wanted to wait at least 30 minutes. So uh, I sat down and actually had a, a another spike, another deer that ended up being a spike came in and it offered me a shot over the course of about probably two to three minutes. I had several shot opportunities at this little spike, but I know there's better deer on the property, so I didn't really want to shoot the spike. I'd rather let it have a chance to you know mature a little bit, uh, as well as I really didn't want to deal with another blood trail because if, if I had made a mistake or shot a little bit back on the first one, I didn't want to deal with crossing blood trails and getting things even more mixed up. So I elected not to, not to take a shot. Uh, I also had, again, plans that afternoon, and I didn't really need to be dealing with uh, two animals on the ground. So anyway, elected to pass up on the shot. So around, I would say it was quarter till nine or so, I went ahead and climbed down out of my stand. Uh, I had to bring my stand down with me uh, because it will be a stand I'm using this week in, in Michigan. So as quietly as I could, I brought my stand, my sticks, and all my gear down and basically just left it all laying at the bottom of the tree. I didn't try to put any of the gear away because, again, I was trying to be as quiet as possible. Um, collected my bow and eased down to my point of impact where I would shot the animal. And... I didn't pick up blood right away. It was probably eight to ten yards from the point of impact when I did pick up first blood. The first blood I did find was dark, so I knew it was probably a, a, a liver hit. I kept moving forward very slowly, um, and the next... It found a few specks of blood here and there, but the next... Uh, good blood I found was only maybe another two to three yards away and it was heavier blood it was still dark but there was also uh, some bright lung blood mixed in which made me feel better and not far past that I actually did find my part of my arrow it, it did break my arrow off I could not smell any um, uh, stomach matter on the arrow which did make me feel good um, and again I could tell that there was some lung blood and the blood was it was it was I've had better blood trails but it was it was pretty good blood so I thought about it for just a minute and then I decided you know I was going to at least continue on but very very slowly and when I say slowly basically what I was doing is about every two yards I was completely coming to a stop and I was scanning everything I could see in front of me from a, almost from a kneeling position, but I was basically squatting down. So I was getting as low as I could and I was using my, my, my binoculars. I was trying my best to scan anything, really looking for anything white I could pick up, hopefully seeing a, a belly or that kind of thing. And after scanning everything as good as I could, I would move forward another two to three yards, and I would repeat this process. So it, it, was, it was slow going, but again, the blood was pretty good. And I would say about 
40 yards or so into this, the blood even picked up a bit more. Um, and while the biggest part of the blood I could find, I felt like was a darker color than I, color than I would like, there was still enough bright, uh, bright blood. And I started noticing that the brighter blood was on the right side and the darker blood was more on the, the left side, indicating that the entrance was back and the exit was forward. So again, I kept moving forward. And after about, again, I would say 80 yards or so, and again, I'm stopping and I'm scanning, I came to several patches of very heavy blood. Um, again, most of it darker. But again, when I say heavy, there were several good puddles. There, were good blood, there was good blood on uh, some of the saplings. And I could tell the footing was labored, meaning, you know, you would you would see several um, footsteps every couple of yards that were. Uh, you could just tell it was labored movement. There was there was more ground disturbed. The leaves were disturbed more, uh, and the the dirt was disturbed, like the you know the foot was being drugged or the you know it was stumbling going on. And then all of a sudden, I had one good puddle and I I couldn't find and I said one good puddle and a couple little um, thumbnail size patches of blood and I couldn't find next blood so I'm squatted down I'm scanning left I'm scanning right I'm scanning ahead and this is all headed down towards a uh, a larger uh, creek it's not a big creek, but it's 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 bigger than a creek branch. It's it's um, there are places that you you have to you have to navigate to find where to cross. It's big enough for that that you can't cross without getting your feet wet. Uh, and I'm like, I, I can't find blood. I can't find blood. So I took the broken arrow and stuck it in the ground so I wouldn't lose you know the last blood I found. And I moved forward a little bit and I'm scanning and I'm scanning, and then I. For some reason, oh, I turned around to look to see where the arrow was in relation to where I was standing and the path that I had come down, and I just happened to glance to the right, and I saw her lay, and she had actually um, stumbled into a, a, a rut, a ditch, where the, 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 run, the uh, runoff coming down this hill creates some little finger ruts and so forth, and the puddle of blood looks like an area where she had she had stalled for just a minute and staggered, and looked like she almost ran in a in a half circle, and then gravity kind of took care of the rest, and she stumbled off into this this little ditch. And you know, from the areas that I was spotting and glassing, I I couldn't see down in it, but once I had gotten downhill from that spot and turned back and was looking uphill, it was you know there she was. She was pretty obvious, and when I I pulled her up out of that ravine and, and was looking, and it was as I thought. I had hit her behind the last rib and even could have arguably been a little bit further back. It was definitely further back than I intended, but the exit was perfect, and it was also the reason I didn't get a, an exit. It actually went through the the cartilage part of the, the shoulder blade where it's very thin, more of a cartilage material than anything else, and uh, while it did punch through, that's uh, you know that robbed a lot of the momentum of the arrows. Reason I didn't get an exit, but you know that's another good point that I will make for people, especially you know 
people just getting into bow hunting or maybe traditional bow hunting is always think about on a quartering away shot, think about where you want the arrow to exit because that's important. If you're, if you're aiming at a whitetail when it's quartering away, unless it's just slightly, if it's any kind of um, real quartering away shot, and you shoot where you would shoot on a broadside deer, you, you've got a high probability of only getting one lung. And a one lung hit deer can go a long ways and they can live a long time. And, you know, we don't, we don't want that. We want, we want the, the shot to be as humane as possible. We, don't want, we would like the animal to go down uh, as quickly as possible. So, you know, you, you want to think about where that arrow needs to enter the body to get the most vitals possible um, and to get the exit and even going back to what I was talking about when I started this this episode of aeroflight if you shoot an animal on a quarter way shot like that especially with a wide broadhead and you don't have good aeroflight there's a good probability especially based on the angle that that arrow hits that it could plane. And when I say plane, it could turn and go down and exit through the stomach and never get a vital. And if you don't believe it can happen, trust me, I've seen it happen. I know it can happen from some of the mistakes I made early on. If it if it impacts in its its vertical and its planing, it could it could even though it may be uh, enter at the right point and it's in the right angle it could plane inside that animal and it could go straight through the guts and exit out the the offside without going forward trust me it can happen it can happen more if you've got bad arrow flight and light arrows heavy arrows especially heavy arrows with high foc can make up for some of that and i know there's people listening that go oh i'm sick and tired of hearing about the ashby studies i'm sick and tired of hearing about high foc this is not, I'm not preaching Ashby studies. I'm not preaching high FOC. What I'm telling you is that these different components of a good arrow build can make differences. And these are the reasons why they can make differences. I'm not telling you go out, run out, change all your arrow setup. All I'm saying is based on the experiences, based on some of the things I have seen, I can tell you some of the things that will happen, may not happen every time, but they can and they will happen. And I'm telling you how some of these things that you hear preached about that you may roll your eyes about and you're tired of hearing about it, how they can make a difference, how they can potentially compensate or reduce or mitigate the chances of some of this happening. And they think about it this way. It's, it, it's all about momentum. And it's, uh, I forget what the, who, who actually owns the law of, whatever it is. There's a law aside uh, that, that go inside in this. It basically says an object in motion wants to stay in motion. And that's part of this. The more that, that that arrow weighs, the harder it's going to be for an outside force to change the path. And in this case, the, the broadhead and that surface area of that broadhead being that external force. When it goes into the animal, if it's not straight, the tissue pushing against the flat of that broadhead can steer it. If that arrow is heavier, if it's got a higher amount of forward of center or FOC, 
it's it's going to mean that that surface area that broadhead can have less effect on the area of flight and steer it off of its course. It's it's basic physics. So you know whether you agree with FOC, whether you agree with the Ashby studies, think about it from a common sense perspective. And again, I'm not saying it's going to make a difference every time. I'm saying that it's one of the factors that you can use to increase the likelihood of success. Arrow weight, high FOC, proper arrow flight all makes a difference. Hitting the arrow in, or excuse me, hitting the animal in the right place makes all the difference. Um, you know, it's funny, Nick and I both kind of joke about, you know, the, the crowd or the, the, um, the, the arguments that come on Facebook and the, the shot placement matters crowd that that's, you know, that's always the answer. And again, as we've said before, shot placement's important. Uh, Isaac Justice said it best, and he said shot placement should be assumed. And it should, but shot placement changes based on conditions. And that often gets overlooked. You know, there's, there's definitely people that, and maybe in their situation, it's the best thing they can do. They will only take a shot when the animal's perfectly broadside. And my hat's off to them if that's where their comfort level is at and that's where they feel they can make the most ethical shot and they're holding out to that for that, my hat's off to you. Congratulations, you're, you're doing a great thing. I wish a lot more people would do that. You'd have a lot less of the posts about, well, you know, I, I, I don't know what happened. Yeah, you do. You know what happened. You just don't want to admit to what happened. But for me, I practice those shot angles. I know I can make those shots nine out of ten times. I know where I need to aim on that animal to hit the vitals when it's on those courting away shots. And I will even go a step further, and this isn't for everybody. I'm just I'm I'm speaking from my experiences. It's one of the reasons I shoot the arrow combinations, and in some cases, and in most cases, the draw weights that I shoot, because if I'm on a steep quartering angle and I need to enter that animal, you know, way behind the, the, the rib cage, maybe it's just in front of the, the, the rear ham, to get to the vitals, I want to know I've got an arrow can, that can do that. And I've, I've done it on a couple of occasions with good success. But you're talking about a lot of animal that you have to push an arrow through. And you have to have that mass weight to do it. Or you have to have the, the higher poundage bows. Again, not telling everybody they need to do that. I'm telling you that's why I choose to do it a lot of times and why I would like to be doing it this year. But I had to make a decision. Um, reduce my effectiveness because of my lack of time for shooting all this past year or increase my odds for being able to place the shot where I want to, and I chose to be able to place the shot where I want to in as many hunting conditions or hunting situations as I could think of. Um, so anyway, I feel like part of this I'm rambling a little bit, and I sure I am just because I'm, I'm, I'm driving, I'm distracted a little bit, and I don't have, you know, Nick or anybody else sitting here with me to, to, to keep me on target or to, to ask questions to make me think about the next things I want to talk about. But these are just some things that, that you know, I've thought about over the last week, uh, both from um, experiences in the woods and some things that I've, I've run across and experienced uh, on social media. 
Um, and yeah, I think I've kind of I've kind of beat that to death. I don't even know where I'm at time wise, but I'm gonna probably go ahead and, and wrap this one up. Not sure what order they're going to be in. Uh, so some of this may come up again. I know I'm going to be recording with, with Tom while I'm, I'm spending some time with him over the next few days. Uh, I will be working. Luckily for me, I can pretty much work anywhere. So uh, that gives me the ability to actually make the 12-hour drive from, from my home state to, to Tom's place in Michigan on a, on a weekend day so I don't have to take a, a vacation day, which I'm quite honestly don't have right now because I used all of my vacation time taking care of my wife but um, so I won't be hunting all week uh, we'll be working several days this week and Tom and I are going to try to go out in the evenings but I'm pretty sure we won't go every evening and we're actually going to try to record an episode uh, from his house uh, mainly to talk about his uh, elk hunt that he did out west we may talk a little bit more about uh, our upcoming uh, pig hunt, our upcoming bear hunt, and our upcoming bear and moose hunt. It'll be bear and moose for Tom. It'll only be moose for me because I don't have enough uh, vacation time uh, next year to actually uh, be able to handle all of the adventures that I want to uh, partake on. But should be a good time, and we may revisit some of this again. And I'm not sure the order that they will uh, come out. So depending on where you hear this part of this episode, it may or may not make sense. Uh, but if it doesn't, then you'll know what's, you'll know what's forthcoming at least. But I hope this is, I hope this has proved entertaining as well as, uh, useful mostly for the, you know, the, the new guys or new guys and gals that are getting into this. But again, it's something as a, a reminder to, to all of us, I hope, uh, as traditional bow hunters, whether we're long into tooth veterans or, just newly getting started. Uh, so until next time, hopefully we'll get some some good stories out of this trip to Michigan this year. Uh, it's been raining on me since I left Georgia. I hope that's a sign that we're going to get the rain out of our system and we'll have some good days of hunting uh, the end of the week. So look for some episodes on that or an episode on the, on the tales of this trip uh, coming up in a few weeks. And until next time, Thank you everyone so much for tuning in and we will talk to you again real soon. Take care everyone.